We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Coming up, I'll talk about Trump's big win in the Iowa caucus and also what's in store for the other candidates, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis. Vivek, of course, is now out. And uh, the legendary political consultant Roger Stone joins me. We're going to talk about um, Iowa. We're going to talk about election interference and also what's going to happen in the 2024 election. If you're watching on Rumble or listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, please subscribe to my channel. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. America needs this voice. The times are crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. And wow, a big win for Donald Trump. He comes out at 50 plus, and this leaves DeSantis around 20, Nikki Haley around 20. Uh, there's some reports, conflicting reports about whether DeSantis edged Nikki Haley at the end or Nikki Haley edged DeSantis. I saw Nikki Haley giving a speech saying, now it's now a two-man, a two-person race. And it puzzled me because I was thinking, two-person race? Are you talking about you and Trump? Are you talking about you and DeSantis? You, you guys were basically tied. So if she means it's between her and Trump, I don't think that's really quite a fair or accurate interpretation and uh but disappointing for DeSantis it's no there's no other way to look at it I don't see it's not just whether he wants to push forward it's whether the donors the people who back DeSantis who are putting their money into no one wants to put their money into a black hole so I'm guessing that DeSantis is starting to feel the pressure that look this is not going to happen well, not only Iowa, where he had put a lot of expectations and hopes, but also, where do you go next? New Hampshire? Not exactly DeSantis country. And then into the South, South Carolina, which happens to be Nikki Haley's home state. So Nikki Haley might think that she has a pathway at least to hang in there. But um, for DeSantis, it looks a little bit more uncertain. Uh, nevertheless, the DeSantis people put out a statement, we're sticking it out, and uh and it doesn't look like there's going to be any major, you know, course correction. Now, I saw uh, Britt Hume on television, and he was being asked uh, by um, he was being asked about why Trump uh, continues to do so well. I mean, here is a guy who doesn't take part in the debates. He did do some campaigning in Iowa, but nothing like the kind of relentless, you know, let me make sure to go to every county multiple times approach, which was the approach of DeSantis. Also, by the way, the approach of Vivek Ramaswamy and Trump sort of just kind of like, okay, you know, above the fray. And yet he sweeps the result. He spends less money and certainly less money per vote 
than either DeSantis or uh, Nikki Haley. And so Brit Hume was trying to understand how this is possible. And Brit Hume's answer was basically that Trump has a record, that people remember the Trump years and they remember the Biden years. And it's one of those very clear, let's contrast the one against the other uh, across a whole board of metrics. I mean, whether it's the economy, whether it's foreign policy, whether it's the state of law and order in the country, whether it's how you're feeling about America, whether it's the stock market. I mean, you pick the measure. Things were better under Trump. Uh, and I think that is clearly um, part of the reason. But I also think part of the reason is that this whole effort to criminalize Trump, to prosecute him, to go after him, to lock him up, is backfiring in a huge way. Now, the left may say, well, it hasn't backfired because it hasn't gone to trial. Wait till we get, you know, Trump before a D.C. jury. And, and yeah, they are looking to, they want to see that guilty verdict emblazoned on the front page of the New York Times. They want to see it headlined on CNN and ABC. So the left has its own hunker down and push ahead strategy. But I think part of the goal of the strategy was to keep Trump off the ballot, not only sort of using the legal mechanism, but using the legal process to alienate Republican vo voters. To get Republicans to say, well, this, yeah, and this is actually a reasonable expectation on the part of the left because Republicans are like this. They tend to bury, you know, our team tends to bury our own guys. Yeah, he has too much baggage or, yeah, you know, we just can't take the risk of somebody who's so radioactive. We need somebody who will upset the left a little bit less. We need somebody who's safer. This mode of thinking, and, and you know what? This is the mode of thinking that characterized the Republican Party in the post-Reagan era. But I think one of the messages of Trump's big win in Iowa is that Republicans moving away from this. Republicans don't think like this anymore. The Republican view is that precisely because you're going after Trump in this way, we're going to defend Trump. We're going to circle the wagons. We're going to elevate this guy. We're going to put him out front because we think ultimately that he is the guy that is needed to take you people on in the election and teach you a lesson, not just in the election, but also once he takes office in January of 2025. There's nothing worse than hearing about people living in pain. That's why I want to tell you about Keith from Washington and his Relief Factor story. Now, after years of activity, college football to running a martial arts studio at age 51, Keith's body felt like it was wearing out, so he gave Relief Factor a try. What a difference. Keith says he now has little to no pain in my knees and highly reduced neck pain. He's feeling so much better. He pursued a second-degree black belt. So what a story. You know, on a personal note, that Relief Factors worked for me and Debbie, for our family, and also for our friends. So if you're living with aches and pains, see how Relief Factor, a daily drug-free supplement, could help you feel and live better every day. To get started, try the Relief Factor three-week quick start kit. It's only $19.95. It comes with a feel-better or your money-back guarantee. Got nothing to lose. Visit relieffactor.com or call this number 800-4-RELIEF. The number again, 800-4-RELIEF or go to relieffactor.com. You'll feel the difference. Are you ready to lose weight but not sure where to start? I understand. Debbie and I were right where you are a year ago. Let me tell you why we chose PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition and I recommend their program highly. 
First, Dr. Ashley Lucas has her PhD in chronic disease and sports nutrition. Her program is based on years of research and is science-based. Second, the PhD program starts with nutrition, but it's so much more. They know that 90% of permanent change comes from the mind, and they work on eliminating the reason you gain this weight in the first place. There are no shortcuts, no pills, no injections, just solid science-based nutrition and behavior change. And finally, probably most importantly, the result, I lost 27 pounds, Debbie lost 24. We haven't gained that weight back. That's because PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition has a lifelong maintenance program. So if you're ready to lose weight, keep it off. Call 864-644-1900 to get started, or you can go online, myphdweightloss.com. Do what I did and what hundreds of my listeners have done. Call today, the number 864-644-1900. Guys, we just got the results of the Iowa caucus, and I'm thrilled to have the legendary political operative Roger Stone. You know Roger Stone, seasoned political pundit, speaker, New York Times bestselling author. He was featured in the Netflix documentary Get Me Roger Stone. Uh, he's worked for um, Nixon and Reagan and Trump, a 45-year career, 700 political campaigns, his website, by the way, stonezone.com. Uh, welcome, Roger Stone. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, a runaway victory for Trump uh, last night. Uh, I suppose the polls were pointing in that direction, but it looks like Trump even outdid uh, the polls. Is this something that you expected to come out the way it did? And uh, what do you make of it? Well, Dinesh, uh, before we get to that, uh, I want to thank you again for inviting my wife and I to the premiere of your incredibly powerful film, Police State, uh, and tell you how much that affected us as someone who's had his home raided uh, by 29 FBI agents at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, that particular scene, uh, which was recreated, not regard to me, but regard to uh, a pro-life activist whose home was raided. Uh, my wife actually had to go to the bathroom and vomit. It was that emotionally disturbing. It's a powerful, powerful film, and I urge people who haven't seen it to please see it as soon as possible. Uh, I had to, I just had to say that. Uh, let me address your question. Uh, I, uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. Uh, my own personal projection after studying all of the polls both public and private. I thought Donald Trump would come in around 48 or 49. I prayed that he would break the magic 50. He ended up with 51. Now, I think it's important to recognize that no Republican has ever carried the Iowa caucuses by a margin greater than 12. And that was my old boss, Senator Bob Dole in 1988. And of course, he was from neighboring Kansas. Uh, and he was a Midwesterner. Uh, and um, he also had a strong tie to the agricultural uh, community uh, in the state because he uh, was from Kansas, also a heavy corn producing state. Uh, Trump demonstrated last night uh, that he has transformed the Republican Party from being the party of the country club, uh, the party of Wall Street, the party of the elites, to being the party of regular working people. He's also demonstrated, at least at the grassroots level, 
that today's Republican Party is the party of America first. It is the party uh, of the movement to make America great again. Uh, it's interesting to me that he got his highest percentage among not senior citizens, but first time caucus goers. Uh, this says great things uh, for the future uh, of our party. Uh, and then in a contest uh, in which a caucus is different than a primary, a primary, you just walk in and you vote and you leave, whether it's by machine or in some rare occasions, paper ballot, a caucus requires greater dedication. In this particular case, given the inclement weather, uh, it's, you know, 30 degree weather some days, uh, cresting to seven to five below zero uh, in the nicest part of the day. Uh, it really calls for intensity and loyalty uh, for your supporters to come out uh, in, uh, in, in where both uh, frostbite and hypothermia are very real dangers. Uh, and you not only have to come out, but you have to go to a, a drafty uh, fire station or a drafty community center or a drafty public school or other facility where these caucuses are being held. Uh, the caucus itself could take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, uh, maybe longer, depending on how many people show up. Uh, but uh, these these caucus centers were just flooded uh, with uh, Trump supporters. Uh, and um, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, I- I'm not sure, uh, you know, how he goes forward. It's true that he lives to fight another day uh, by eking out a second place victory. But let's notice the gap between Trump and the second and third place uh, uh, finishers uh, is uh, 30 points. It's it's immense. Uh, and therefore, uh, very tough for Ron DeSantis to call this a victory. By the way, he set his own expectation levels. He said he would win. Well, winning to me means coming in first. Winning to me uh, means getting more votes than the other candidates. So although he may have survived, he did not win. The final polls uh, showed Nikki Haley actually narrowly holding second place, although, again, distance from Trump. She underperformed uh, slightly, but I think that's because uh, DeSantis did invest in some infrastructure uh, to identify and turn out his vote, where Nikki Haley's campaign uh, was almost all astroturf, meaning she spent, uh, I think, more uh, for advertising. Uh, I believe she spent $36 million on all forms of advertising. That would be broadcast television, cable television, digital advertising, uh, and so on. Uh, it boils down to about she spent $36 million, boils down to be $1,797.84 for every vote she got. She could have given each voter a refrigerator uh, for that money. <laughs> wow. Uh, Ron DeSantis spent $34 million. Uh, that boils down to be about $1,697.96 for every vote he got. Where Donald Trump spent the least on advertising, uh, almost half of what the other two spent. He spent a mere $18.2 million, uh, and his votes cost him about $340 uh, per vote. Uh, final thought, uh, I really have to say, having been a veteran of 13 
national presidential campaigns, starting with Nixon, uh, three campaigns for Ronald Reagan, and of course, for Donald Trump. Donald Trump is running the single best, the single most disciplined, the single uh, efficient, most efficient, the single best organized presidential campaign in my lifetime. Uh, under the leadership of Susie Wiles uh, and Chris Lasavita uh, and James Blair, this is the best run, most disciplined campaign that I have seen in my 45 years in American politics. And also, Roger, it seems that the campaign has been, um, you know, run against uh, headwinds that are unprecedented in American political history. I mean, here is a guy who's facing multiple uh, criminal charges, over 90 charges in multiple jurisdictions. Uh, The left, I think, had been hoping that just the existence of these charges would uh, alienate Trump from the Republican base. People would be like, either they would go, this guy is potentially a criminal, or they would say something like, well, it's too much baggage because just the very possibility of a conviction, of possible incarceration, we can't go with this guy. We need to go with somebody else. And to some degree, it looks like certainly the DeSantis campaign and so on were counting on that kind of a reaction from the Republican base. Why do you think that the Republican base, the majority of it anyway, has said, to heck with it. We don't care about these indictments. We're gonna, what is what is Trump's peculiar power that holds even in the face of all this lawfare? Uh, I think it is the fact that the nature of the crimes uh, that he's accused of are so ridiculous. Uh, first of all, uh, in 1977, the Congress passed uh, the Presidential Records Act. Uh, judge Amy Berman Jackson, strangely enough, the same judge who sat on my trial uh, when I was falsely charged with lying to Congress uh, about Russian collusion that never actually happened, uh, ruled that a president could do anything he wanted with his documents, including Bill Clinton, uh, who was the uh, who was the subject at hand, being allowed to keep them in his sock drawer at home. So uh, people, I, I don't think, are buying this idea that Trump was holding on to classified national security documents so that he could sell them to the Russians or the Chinese. It's, it's nonsensical. Uh, secondarily, what's his crime uh, in, in Washington, D.C.? Did, what did he steal? He didn't steal anything. He had the audacity uh, to exercise his First Amendment rights uh, to challenge the outcome of a federal election. It's not a crime. Uh, in Georgia, uh, the indictment against him is premised on the fact that he lost the Georgia election. That's up for grabs. You know more about this than anyone, uh, thanks to your film, 2000 Mules, uh, and ongoing litigation. Uh, there's a lot of question as to whether he really did lose Georgia. Uh, so he's again charged with knowing that he lost Georgia, believing that he lost Georgia, uh, and then seeking, uh, to, uh, work with others to, uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, steal that or to hold on to power. Uh, and of course, uh, 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 the underlying premise of that case is falling apart, uh, as is uh, the uh, the corruption of the investigation uh, into him. 
Uh, let's take a pause. When we come back, more with the legendary political analyst Roger Stone, his website, stonezone.com. You can follow him on X at Roger J. Stone Jr. Jr. At Roger J. Stone Jr. Uh, we'll be right back. But each year that passes, the term health goals takes on more and more importance for Debbie and me. In our younger days, feeling great, feeling healthy was just something we took for granted. But now it's become an active goal in our life. That means we do specific things to help us get there. One of the things we do is this. We take balance of nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule, so easy to take. Why did we choose balance of nature? Well, many reasons, but probably one of the most important is that they are always made from whole food ingredients. Have you started getting more serious about your health goals like we have? I strongly urge you to check out balance of nature. Whether you order online or call them direct, you got to use the promo code America to get this special offer of 35% off. So go ahead and call. Here's the number, 800-246-8751. Use discount code America or you can order online at balanceofnature.com. When you use discount code America, you'll get 35% off. As we're moving toward the election, one thing you can be sure of, 2024 will be tumultuous. So how will your hard-earned savings fare this year? You already see the impact of inflation at the pump, the grocery store, the dollar continues to lose buying power quicker than wages can increase. How are you protecting your savings? You should consider diversifying with gold from Birch Gold Group. For decades, gold has been the choice of investors and central banks to hedge against inflation. Now you can own gold in a tax-sheltered IRA with the help of Birch Gold. Just text Dinesh to 989898. Birch Gold will send you a free information kit on gold. No obligation. Just information. Birch Gold can help you convert an existing IRA of 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, including me and Debbie, you can trust Birch Gold. Text Dinesh to 989898 for your free information kit. Again, text Dinesh to 989898 now. I'm back with the one and only Roger Stone, his website, stonezone.com. Roger, we were talking about Trump and, of course, the results of the Iowa caucus. Let's talk about some of the other candidates, starting with uh, Vivek. Um, I think all of us have been not just surprised, but really amazed at the eloquence, the sort of uh, industriousness of Vivek, the indefatigability of Vivek, uh, this guy who sort of doesn't stop. And yet Vivek's campaign, in a sense, was very interesting because he ran a campaign, a lot of which was about defending Trump, uh, saying that he would pardon Trump, saying that he would uh, pardon the January 6th protesters, that he, w- that he will um, take down the deep state and the police state. Uh, and now after Iowa, Vivek drops out, Vivek endorses Trump, Vivek is apparently going to show up with Trump in New Hampshire to campaign with Trump. What do you, how do you analyze the phenomenon of Vivek Ramaswamy? Uh, well, I had him on my WABC New York radio show last weekend. Uh, I had initial misgivings about him. Uh, then I kind of warmed to him because uh, he filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court uh, regarding uh, opposing the efforts to by the Colorado State Supreme Court to remove Trump from the ballot. 
he voluntarily said that if Trump was removed from the ballot illegally in any state, he himself would not run in that state. Uh, he, he evolved into an effective critic uh, of the government's actions on January 6th. Uh, I do think he, uh, the stunt he pulled at the end where he made a case to Iowa voters that voting for me would somehow save Trump, uh, which appears to have briefly aggravated Trump. Clearly, that is water under the bridge. Uh, I think he made a very shrewd move uh, in his decision to withdraw immediately uh, after last night's result uh, and uh, endorse uh, Trump. Uh, he's a young man. I think he has a great future in the party. Uh, for those uh, who say uh, that he would be a good running mate for Trump, uh, you know, my Richard Nixon once told me, uh, in looking for a vice presidential running mate, don't look for somebody who can help you. Just try to find someone who can't hurt you. I'm not suggesting that Vivek Ramaswamy would hurt Trump, but I am suggesting uh, that he, that the trick here is for Trump to, A, pick somebody who's fully qualified to be president, but then secondarily, someone who can bring him a new constituency, someone who can reach out to others, but is also at the same time still acceptable to the MAGA base. Now, that may be easier said than done, but I really think uh, that that, uh, that person is probably not Vivek because of Vivek's uh, uh, emphasis on certain uh, MAGA-related issues, uh, as was demonstrated in Iowa last night, as will be demonstrated again in New Hampshire. I think he appeals to the same voters that Trump appeals to, where it would be nice to find someone who, who appeals to a bit broader constituency. That person may not exist by the way. Uh, but Trump, it's incumbent on uh, President Trump to think about that. Well, if Trump were to call you and ask you for your advice, I mean, some of the names that we've heard out there, people like Christy Nome, for example, I think I've heard the name Elise Stefanik. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on Ted Cruz, because at least in my way of thinking, Cruz is somebody who, well, he was the second highest vote getter the last time around. He's obviously hasn't been in this race. But he has been an ally of Trump ideologically, and yet at the same time, uh, Ted is, uh, you know, he's also in a way part of the establishment. He's got a, he's got a base of supporters that is not identical with Trump's base. So is that kind of what you had in mind when you were, I don't mean specifically Ted, but I mean in general, that you pick somebody who is complementary to you, but at the same time might bring in some voters who might otherwise have concerns about you? Uh, you know, I, I let me say, first of all, I speak only for myself. So any idea I put out there is just my thoughts, not should not be attributed to President Trump or anyone around him. Uh, I do like Elise Stefanik very much. Uh, I do think she might have a strong appeal to suburban women. women. Uh, I also like uh, an outside the box uh, possibility like Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard has uh, like Vivek Ramaswamy, she has had a, uh, she's had a personal evolution, uh, in her thinking. Yes, yeah, she was once a progressive, uh, but now she is one of the best, uh, most forthright critics of the neocon war machine. Uh, she's also a, uh, a decorated, uh, Iraq veteran. I believe she's a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army Reserve championship, uh, surfer. Uh, former Democrat, uh, 
uh, now an independent, hopefully on her way to becoming a Republican. I think that would be an intriguing choice. Now, when I said that in a Twitter space the other night with uh, Alex Jones and General Flynn uh, and my good friend Jack Posobiec from Human Events, uh, I got a very mixed result. Many people loved the idea. Many other people did not love the idea. Look, only one man's going to make this decision, uh, and that is Donald Trump. Uh, so I do think thinking outside the box is important. Perhaps there's a person who is not in the world of politics, but who has the kind of depth of experience uh, in another discipline uh, who should be considered. Uh, don't ask me to name that person. I, I couldn't tell you. As far as Ted Cruz is concerned, I think he'd be a great nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, to the extent that Trump got a Trump court vacancy, Ted Cruz, uh, who is a fighter uh, and a superb lawyer uh, and who is a member of the Senate, I think could be confirmed by the Senate, uh, would be a great Supreme Court justice. Roger, what would you make of, um, of uh, at this point, both Nikki Haley and DeSantis? And when I think about Nikki Haley, I think that this of someone who is almost in a, a little bit of a time warp. In other words, she would have fit beautifully into the Republican Party circa 1996. Uh, she uh, perhaps even in the McCain era. Uh, she comes out of that strain of the party. She seems to reflect ideas that Republicans do talk about, but just don't seem plugged into where we are now. Uh, with DeSantis, I'm a little bit more disheartened for the simple reason that it looked to me like this guy had an amazing future ahead of him, could even be the heir apparent after Trump. Uh, and yet there's been so much acrimony now between the Trump people and the DeSantis people. Do you think that DeSantis has sort of permanently blown it or is it the case where this is a guy who could now step back even if he doesn't come close to the nomination uh bide his time finish out his term uh as as governor of florida and then come 2028 he's back in the ring i actually think uh, sadly that he's done permanent damage to his political brand uh simply because his candidacy is really an act of personal disloyalty uh, perhaps folks who don't live in Florida don't understand that Ron DeSantis was a relatively obscure congressman uh, who was struggling in the race for governor against uh, the state agriculture commissioner who had the endorsement of every Republican member of the state legislature, uh, the Speaker of the House, the President of the Senate, uh, every member of the congressional delegation, with the exception of uh, Matt Gates, every Republican member. Uh, had the endorsement of all 62 Republican county chairmen. He was the heavy favorite. Uh, it was only the endorsement uh, of Donald Trump, a tweeted endorsement, which lifted Ron DeSantis out of political obscurity and catapulted him to the governor's uh, nomination. And then in the final weeks of the 2018 campaign, Donald Trump had to change his schedule uh, for the last two weeks to visit Florida three times to literally drag Ron DeSantis across the finish line. Now, I've been in politics for 45 years. To me, loyalty is important. Loyalty means something. Uh, and uh, Ron DeSantis demonstrated uh, a lack of personal loyalty. I think that's a character flaw. The man is a, a, an ingrate. Uh, but then secondarily, this campaign demonstrated 
I don't know whether it's that he's an introvert in an extrovert's business or whether he's just genuinely doesn't like people. Uh, but he, he proved in this contest to be a, a poor candidate. He just doesn't connect with people. Uh, he, he seems to have some odd personal habits. This is a man who often wears earbuds when he's not listening to anything just so he can avoid talking to people. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, I find that strange. So uh, I, I don't think in the end uh, that uh, he's going to be a strong candidate in 2028 for the same reasons that he proved not to be a strong candidate uh, for uh, for 2024. Nikki Haley uh, is, you know, Dick Cheney in heels. Uh, she represents the Uniparty. She represents the Bush Cheney wing of the party, uh, which is in the descendancy. Uh, it's amazing to me that much of her funding is coming from Democrats, uh, like uh, Larry Fink, uh, who was one of the founders of uh, LinkedIn, uh, Reed Hoffman, uh, who has uh, not only visited Epstein's island several times, has given millions to Joe Biden, the Democratic Party, uh, but also financed the E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit uh, against uh, Donald Trump. So uh, I, I just think that you're right. She's uh, she's not right for today's modern Republican primary. What I would hate to see, uh, since DeSantis is out of resources, uh, and I think he's going to have a hard time raising money because uh, given this margin in Iowa, I don't think there's anyone who believes that he can uh, win the nomination or wrest the New Hampshire primary or the primaries after that from Donald Trump. Uh, Nikki Haley, on the hand, is flush uh, with special interest money. Uh, and I could see a scenario in which she tries to do what George H.W. Bush did in 1980, which is to stay in the contest long after uh, he no longer had any prospect to be nominated. Ronald Reagan had swept New Hampshire, then swept the rest of the primaries. Uh, there were a few small primaries late where Reagan was out of money. Trump spent, uh, and uh, therefore George H.W. Bush became an irritant. Uh, but he was essentially hanging on in a bid to become vice president. Some could argue that that works. Uh, I don't think that the President Trump will select Nikki Haley for vice president. Uh, I think there are two factors there. One, there is, once again, the character factor. Uh, he she specifically told him that he was among our greatest presidents. I agree with that. Uh, and that uh, if he ran, she would not run. Uh, and then secondarily, uh, she her foreign policy views particularly are antithetical uh, to Trump's. Uh, she keeps saying the Russians have said that if they take Ukraine, uh, then it's only a matter of time and that Poland uh, uh, and the rest of Eastern Europe are next. Nikki, where did the Russians say that? Vladimir Putin has never said that. Uh, that is an inaccurate uh, depiction of what the uh, Iran, uh, uh, Ukrainian-Russian uh, conflict is about. Uh, it does not reflect any recognition uh, that when, uh, in 1994, uh, when the Russians agreed to the reunification of East and West Germany, we agreed in return not to push Ukraine into NATO. 
uh, we violated the Budapest Accords, uh, which we signed. I actually think it's called the Budapest Memorandum. Uh, and uh, we have been seeking to mount NATO missiles uh, aimed at Russia uh, on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, Donald Trump, within a day of being president, I'm convinced could negotiate a settlement of this extraordinarily expensive conflict. Whereas I think Nikki Haley's first move would be to ship billions more to the Ukrainians uh, so that much of it can be stolen, uh, but whatever isn't stolen can be used to pursue what, contrary to what the national media is telling you, uh, is a losing war against Russia. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Roger Stone, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, we've been talking to Roger Stone, his website, stonezone.com. Follow him on X, Roger J. Stone, J.R. Uh, Roger, as always, great to have you. Thanks for joining me. Nash, thank you so much and God bless you. Mike Lindell and the employees of MyPillow want to thank my listeners for all your continued support. So to thank you. They're having an overstock clearance sale right now for their best prices ever when you use promo code Dinesh and you get free shipping on your entire order. Get 50% off the MyPillow 2.0 and the brand new flannel sheets that just arrived. They won't last long. Get six-pack towel sets for only $29.98 and take advantage of the free shipping on larger items like mattresses and mattress stoppers. 100% made in the USA on sale for as low as $99.99. Everything is on sale from the brand new kitchen towels that have the same technology as the bath towels that actually absorb. You got dog beds, blankets, couch pillows, and so much more. To get the best specials ever, go to MyPillow.com. Use promo code Dinesh or you can call 800-876-0227. The number again, 800-876-0227. Make sure to use the promo code. Uh, which is D-I-N-E-S-H Dinesh, and also get free shipping on your entire order while supplies last. I want to talk about a subject that C.S. Lewis deals with, but not extensively, and that is the issue of friendship involving women. Now, I say this because Lewis, for the most part, is describing friendship in a way that's recognizable to men, but there might be some women who listen to it and go, well, female friendship is kind of different. Uh, Debbie and I were talking about this after yesterday, I guess it may, maybe the day before, and I had made the point that male friendship is not exclusive. If there are two guys and they're, they've got a common pursuit or a common interest, let's say you know hiking or, um, or mathematics, they have no problem with a third, a fourth, and a fifth joining the circle. It remains an exclusive circle because these guys sit down and work out their problems together or they go hiking every Saturday. But either way, there is no bar at all to adding members to the group. But Debbie's like, well, I don't know if that really is true of women because you have a lot of exclusivity, you have jealousy, you have she's my best friend, she's not your best friend, and so uh, there is a resistance to admitting a newcomer to the circle because the circle is like only two. It's like me and my best friend. 
and we're cool and you're not. And so if you join the circle, the value of the circle kind of goes down, not to mention the fact that no longer do I just have a best friend, but we now have a sort of an imposter. We were watching um, a little while ago one of these crime shows, Debbie and I. We sometimes do this over the weekend just for fun. And the plot involved these um, two girls who were really close. Uh, one of them was very kind of hip and cool and the other maybe less so. But then a third girl joined the group and incredibly um, one of the girls and then the newcomer plotted together to murder, murder the third girl. And uh, and as the plot unfolded, it was so unexpected because it was one of those whodunits. And of course, the last people you suspect were the girls themselves and they were just teenagers. But they they stabbed this other girl to death. And when questioned about it later, they were like, we didn't like her. We didn't like her. You got this feeling that somehow this uh, group was a group of two. And when it became three, uh, kind of an unstable or a very dangerous element was introduced. And suddenly one of the three had to be had to be pushed out. Now, I was thinking about this and thinking about what would C.S. Lewis say about this. And in my view, what C.S. Lewis would say is that that situation was never friendship in the first place. In other words, it doesn't meet the classic understanding or definition of friendship. The two girls who came together at the beginning were brought together really probably because one of them saw the other as cool and saw it as a kind of elevation of her status to be associated with the cool girl. Uh, and the cool girl must have taken some sort of liking to the other girl, um, maybe because she liked to order her around, maybe because she thought that compared, comparing the two of us, I'm always going to be the beautiful, the glamorous one. But you can see here that this is a relationship, to be sure, but it's not a friendship in the sense that C.S. Lewis means it. C.S. Lewis is talking about friendship in the sense of the two of us are united by shared values or shared interests, or shared goals, or shared religious beliefs, uh, or a particular <clears throat> kind of way of being that makes us different from everyone else. And that's what we find uh, in common with each other. So that was not the case here. And moreover, the very fact that there was this kind of jealousy uh, the jealousy tells you that it's not really about the friendship, because think about it. There's nothing about a common interest by itself that excludes anybody. Uh, let's just say, for example, I love to watch Western movies. I'm, I'm obsessed with Westerns. Um, and then I find a friend and he's obsessed with Westerns. And so we have lengthy discussions about, you know, Rio Bravo and the man who shot Liberty Valance and John Ford as a filmmaker. And we go into it to such a degree and this is really why it becomes a friendship is because to everybody else, this is like crazy. Like these two guys are are nuts. Um, they're going into this stuff. I mean, yeah, we like Westerns and all, but this is a level of detail that is, you may say, abnormal. And that's really what the friends find in common with each other. Each person's individual abnormality is matched by the abnormality in the other person. And it's like, hey, 
you know, we're not alone in the world in this abnormality. We both think the same about these things. And so that's the friendship. Now, let's imagine a third guy shows up and he goes, I'm just as obsessed with Westerns as you are, but I don't agree with you guys that John Wayne is the greatest actor. It's really, you know, Clint Eastwood. And so off you go. But the two guys are like happy to pull this guy in because it only makes their circle more interesting. Um, so that's how friendship ought to be. But uh, I think Lewis would say that in this case of the three girls that I mentioned, it's a pathological relationship uh, based upon certain types of status and envy and social exhibitionism and uh, and possessiveness. And all of this is not really, it's not only not what friendship is, it's somewhat antithetical. It undermines the idea of friendship. Now, None of this is really directly C.S. Lewis. This is kind of my extrapolation of Lewis, my way of understanding and applying his ideas in a philia, friendship, to a given situation. Now, Lewis does discuss another situation, which is, and I think this is a situation you can see uh, that he'd be more familiar with. And he's talking about a group of male friends who, let's say, meet to, you know, smoke cigars or they uh, meet to uh, have uh, conversations about medieval literature, which was Lewis's field. And he goes, and then you have some sort of a protest on the part of a woman who says, I'm being excluded from this circle. I mean, we're very familiar with this. I'm being excluded from this golf club. I'm being excluded from this faculty lounge. I'm not, I'm not, not that, not that women aren't allowed in the faculty, that women are in the faculty, but they're not a member of this group of friends that, let's say, for example, gets together every week and discusses different medieval classics. And so the woman basically kind of barges her way in, claiming that by right, she belongs in the group. And now the men are kind of sheepish, and they go, yeah, all right, sure, yep. Uh, but what Lewis says is that right away you notice that this group, which was not only based upon friendship, but was kind of based upon male friendship. And, and, and that means that men in their own company talk about certain things, um, and they're able to talk about it freely, uh, and they're not inhibited. Everybody knows that a group of guys by themselves talks differently than, let's say, a group of guys in which two women are now present, or vice versa. A group of women by themselves will talk differently than if I show up and sit in the middle of the group. They're going to be, they're going to take note of me, and then their comments are going to be a little bit tailored to what I'm going to think about the situation. So, this is Lewis's point, is that the woman is trying to, quote, join the group, but Lewis goes, it ceases to be a group the moment that she shows up, because suddenly the common bond that held this group together is broken. Uh, and it's broken because the, the name, it's not because of sexism. It's not because of some intrinsic bias. It's because women aren't the same as men. Women are psychologically differently wired than men. They have different interests than men. They approach things from a different angle. And the friendship is joined by commonality. And in this case, male commonality. So, so Lewis thinks, and again, he doesn't stress this point. I think he knew it would be somewhat controversial, even in his own time, and it might be, uh, it might take people off track. Lewis is trying to make points that I think will appeal to a wide audience and be recognizable. He doesn't want to get into a fight between uh, between men and women, but I think he does think that friendship is either among men or it is among women 
but a mixed company it can certainly be a social circle. They can, people can certainly get together for dinner. Lewis is not denying that you can have acquaintances and collegiality between men and women. He's simply saying that at the the kind of tightest bond of friendship, the 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 line between the sexes is is an important line. I I hate to think of what Lewis would make of the trans phenomenon, but I don't think we need to go there. I think we we sort of know what Lewis would think, uh, and uh, I, I think perhaps Lewis would take up Socrates's advice that when you hear something that's extremely foolish, the wise man's best response is to say nothing. So I can kind of see Lewis. You bring up this topic about the trans, and what does Lewis do? He he lights up his pipe and he puts in some more tobacco and he blows some smoke and then he uh, looks away as if he didn't hear what you just said. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google and Spotify or watch on Rumble, YouTube and SalemNow.com.